Wow. So, um, I always try to calm myself before I come up here to talk to you guys, but usually what happens is the opposite. The spirit stirs my heart and my heart starts beating really fast. And when that happens, I think, oh Jesus, what are you gonna do? I don't know. We have a lot of ground to cover today, so I'm just gonna dive in, but I need you to listen with me. What does he wanna say to you? Because uh, I know that there's things he's saying to me, but it might not be the same thing for everybody. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5 today. We're talking about the lame man that Jesus healed by the pool of Bethesda. Um, just this beautiful, beautiful story. Um, two years ago, um, over two years ago now that we are in 2020. Happy New Year, by the way. Um, the Lord took a tagline and put it on my heart and put it on my mind and put it on my vision board and the tagline was get up and walk. And it led me into 40 weeks of training to go do the pilgrimage and it led me into saying yes to things that I probably wouldn't say yes to. And it, I had this picture of him of that there was a place in my life where I had healing and he came and he sat with me. And that picture changed and all of a sudden he stood up and he went like this. And the picture was, get up and walk with me. I've been sitting with you in this place for a while, but now get up and walk with me. And it really projected me onto the path of saying yes to him more and more and more and being surprised by his faithfulness in it all. So I thought that's what I was gonna talk about today. <laughs> and then I started studying and he just really revealed other things to me. And uh, Mark asked me yesterday, how are you doing? I said, my thoughts are cloudy. So we'll see what the Spirit wants to do today. Because I'm not comfortable with this. I like knowing exactly where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. <laughs> um, but there's a couple concepts today, so we'll listen together, okay? Um, the first thing that is very interesting to me is how Jesus asked a question in this passage. So I want to talk about this. Let's see if we can get this to work today. Oh, there it is, it worked. So, the power of questions. How many of you guys are good question askers? You like to ask questions. How about this? Let's start with a negative thought. <laughs> How many of you guys work with or maybe have in your family, stay real still, don't do any elbowing, of people who know it all? Okay, the giggles makes me think you, that you resonate with that. That there's, have you ever been around people that you just, they always have an answer for everything. And how does it feel to be around somebody that always has an answer for everything and doesn't slow it down and doesn't listen? Wonderful. <laughs> Says the one who has answers for everything. <laughs> I don't know that personally, I'm just saying. How about people who are good question answers, askers, askers, and they take a minute and they pause and they think about what you're saying and they're listening. How does it make you feel to be around them? Really, how? Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Does it feel like you're known, like they care about you? like you're seen, like they're really interested in you because they're, they're pausing and they're asking questions. Um, this isn't in my notes, but it comes to my mind right now. Mark Spencer is one of the best that you sit with him. Sometimes it's like, stop looking into my soul. 
just for a minute, please. But he's a great question asker. So I started researching about the power of questions and what it's like to be a question asker and wh where do we, can we use this and how is this a good tool and in relating with each other and in relating as a church. And the one 2013 survey found that four-year-old girls are the most prolific askers, averaging one question every minute and 56 seconds. Isn't that amazing? Here, the, the article went on to say this, if you are a good question asker, you can be, you are perceived as more competent. I love how it says you're perceived as more competent, not that you are more competent, you're perceived as more competent. You'll be more likable. It amps up the vulnerability in your life. You'll be more of a creative thinker, a better leader. You'll have more fun. And then it said this, it will increase your emotional intelligence. Now, Mark will need to talk about emotional intelligence way more than me. But what that means to me is it makes me more mature. It makes me more aware of my own self and others around me so that I can interact on a mature level. Mark can come up and correct that later. But... It's easy to see how asking questions and receiving the answers so that you've got this give and take back and forth can make a person more knowledgeable. It will gain information, will gain facts by asking questions. But what's less intuitive is the fact that question asking also has the power to increase our emotional intelligence or the ability to recognize, identify, and properly manage emotions in oneself and others. You're learning about other people based on how they respond. You learn about other people based on how they respond, right? It tells you something, what kind of response you get. And you're learning about yourself through your reactions. If we're paying attention, we learn about ourselves from our own reactions. So keep this in mind as we go through our scripture today, okay? So we're in John chapter 5, and it goes like this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool. By the way, he went up to Jerusalem. Do you know that Jerusalem's at 2,600 feet above sea level? So when it says they go up to Jerusalem, they're climbing. Mary, you know, you guys, some of you have been there. You go up to Jerusalem, just a fact that really doesn't matter. Um, where was I? By the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. So this is what it looks like. And right here is the pool of Bethesda. And you can see the colonnades, that's the pillars. And around this pool is where hundreds of people would lay. And they would stay there, hoping to get into the water to be healed. Imagine a world where doctors are not your go-to. Imagine that they're not even available. How many of you have been to the doctor in the last six months? Okay, hold them hands up high, guys, and look around. It's not available. Your hope is that you go to this pool and you get in the water. 
This is the scene. And this man, for 38 years, has been there. This is longer than the life expectancy of most people in that day. Literally, this man has been going to this pool for a lifetime, doing it the same way, going to the pool, waiting, hoping to get into the waters for a lifetime. Have you ever done anything for a lifetime? It's a long time. And it becomes all he knows. It's all he knows is to get up, have somebody bring him to the pool so he can hopefully get into the waters. Every Christmas morning in the Frantas, um, we make these things called caramel pull-aparts. Do you guys know what that is? Some people, I think, call it monkey bread or something. So the way that you make them is you put... uh, this in a bunt pan, you put these frozen round dough rolls in there and then you pour over it butterscotch pudding. But the butterscotch pudding, I promise you I'm going somewhere with this, has to be cook and serve. It cannot be instant. I tried to make it with instant once and it just turns into a rock that you can't eat. And so it has to be cook and serve. So I am going to make this for my family because we have had it. I can't remember Christmases at my house where we haven't had it. We've had it that long. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to make my caramel pull-aparts. It's going to be great. The kids will be happy. And so I start getting the ingredients together and I need cook and serve butterscotch pudding. Cub doesn't have it. Kowalski's doesn't have it. Well, that they're grocery stores. I was going to say Rainbow, but Rainbow doesn't exist anymore. So I didn't go to Rainbow this year. I think I was somewhere else, but they didn't have it. And so I thought, okay, I need to go to Walmart because Walmart will have it. Walmart has everything. And so I go to Walmart and I'm in the, in the aisle. Scott's with me. And we're, I'm like, I am determined to get this cook and serve butterscotch pudding. I cannot disappoint my family. I have been doing it this way forever. And I have to have it this way. And now I turn on my hunt and kill kind of shopping mode. I am not a shopper that likes to browse. I like my list. I like to go in. I like to hunt it. I like to kill it. And I like to get out. And so I am in hunt and, mode, hunt and kill mode for this butterscotch pudding. And we're, I am in Walmart and I'm looking through all the puddings. And I'm like, well, maybe somebody didn't stock it right. I am looking through all the puddings. I literally, I get down on my hands and knees and I'm looking down in the back aisle and I'm reaching back there trying to get the puddings out. And while I'm down here, my hand on the floor hits a box. I kid you not, it was cook and serve butterscotch pudding. <laughs> I pick up the box and I'm in the aisle and I go, Scott, I got cook and serve butterscotch pudding. One box left in all of Walmart. It was absolutely victorious. <laughs> I don't talk about that, Mark. I was so excited because I get to have it the way I want it, and I get to have it the way that I expect it to be. I was beginning to lose hope, and I started to think in my mind, what am I going to tell the kids? This is going to be horrible. How can we not have these caramel pull-aparts on Christmas morning? And I was beginning to lose hope, but then I had this victory. You guys, it's really not about... 
Here's the thing, is I wanted it to be the way I've always wanted it, but I think that's the message, is that sometimes we will fight to have it stay the same. And then we come upon Jesus, and Jesus tells us something different. This is what he says. Oh, here's a picture of them, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. That was well worth the fight. Yeah. So, um, then we go into our verse again, and I want to call out something before we move on, but can you notice something about the verses? First verse, it starts with after. Verse two starts with now. Verse three starts with in. Wait, where's verse four? Has anybody ever noticed that before? Where's verse four? <laughs> what? Where's verse four? So here's the 10 second explanation, just because I thought it was fascinating and cool and I don't wanna not give you the information so you're more knowledgeable. Um, but verse four is, it explains how the pool works. It's a verse that says, if you were the first one to go into, if you have a King James version, it'll be in your Bible. If you have an ESV or an NIV or a, NAS, a NASB, a New American Standard, it won't be in there because those translations are from uh, um, older transcripts of or older, yeah, transcripts of Scripture. So what happened is the King James Version had a, had a thing that they were translating from and it was in there. And scholars believe it was probably a footnote or a side note in the margin that they put in. But then they found older versions of scripture and it wasn't in there. And so they left it out. It's just fascinating. It has nothing to do with our story today. But I love that stuff. And I thought, I'm going to tell you because I love this kind of fact-finding stuff. It's fascinating. But it describes how the pool worked. It's, you had to be the first to get into the water when it was stirred. So they thought angels came down and stirred the waters. And then when you got in, you were healed. If you were the first, you would be healed. But how the pool worked is not essential to the story. That's where I get hung up sometimes as I'm so fascinated by these facts, I lose sight of what's really essential to the story. How the pool worked is not essential to the story. How Jesus worked is essential to the story. And so we see in verse six, when Jesus saw him, the lame man lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? What do we notice about Jesus? What can we gain from the scriptures? We notice that um, Jesus sees the man, knows his situation. He chooses to go to the pool. Just like how Mark was saying last year, last year, yeah. That works, yes. <laughs> Last week that Jesus went out of his way to find the woman at the well. Jesus goes out of his way to, to run into Galilee to, to find the kingly official who had a sick son. Jesus goes to the pool and finds this one man among hundreds. What we learn about Jesus is he moves towards need. Do you have any need in your life you need Jesus to move towards? And then he asks this, which I thought was a weird question. Do you want to be healed? Uh, duh. Why do you think I'm here? 
Why would you ask something like this? Do you ever have children who are doing homework or they're trying to help you around the house and you just want to do it for them? And just say, here, just let me give you the answer because I, I want to go do something else. I don't want to help you with homework. Or let me just do it for you. It'll be easier. Then we can go do something else. What's the harder thing to do? To teach them. To teach them how to think. To teach them how to discover that how their brain works, how their brain computes, and was designed to learn, designed to understand new things. So here's a thought. I've been doing some reading and some studying lately on um, self-discovery and understanding yourself. And in the Christian world, sometimes we say that and people go, oh, you can't be all about you. Well, yeah, you can. Because sometimes it needs to be about you so that it's not about you. And God is all about you. So it can be about you. So I'm reading David Benner, and it's this book called The Gift of Self-Discovery. I'm actually listening to it on audio. And he says this in his book, when asking Christians what's the most important thing to your existence and being, most would say something about God. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian. I am um, a son or a daughter of God. Most, of a, most people would say something about God, but not make any reference to their self. He writes about how there's this interdependence of knowing self and knowing God, and one cannot exist without the other. Now stay here with me for just a minute, because I think this is what Jesus is doing. Thomas Akempis says this, a humble self-knowledge is a surer way to God than a search after deep learning. Knowing ourselves reveals things to us about God knowing how we're made, knowing how we're wired, knowing how we interact with God. Remember, our response to him, his response to us, we learn. We learn about ourselves. St. Augustine says this, Grant, Lord, that I would know myself so that I would know thee. We are made in his image. We know ourselves, we know him. We know him, we know ourselves. They're interdependent. Christian spirituality involves transformation of the self. Does it not? Don't we want that to become more like Jesus? It's in our vision statement here. When God and self are both deeply known, this happens. A deep knowing of God requires a deep knowing of self. A deep knowing of our true self can only happen with a deep knowing of God. I'm kind of beating that to death a little bit right there, but you get the point. If... We have one without the other, we miss something. If we know a lot about ourselves, but don't mirror that with who we are in Christ, all we are is getting puffed up. Well, I'm this, well, I'm that, well, I know this, well, I know that, well, I do this, well, I do that. When it's absent of who we are in Christ, and if we know a lot about God, but don't understand how God relates to us, then all we have is a distant God, who is not interested in relationship. But scriptures tell us a different story. Scripture tells us that he's interested in us. Jesus asked this question, do you want to be healed so that the man can gain understanding about both himself and about Jesus? 
He leads this man into self-discovery. That's what I think he's doing. I think he's asking the man, do you want to be healed? Not because he's like in your face, you idiot, you've been staying here for 38 years. He's saying, think about it. What do you want? What do you need? I'm right here in front of you. I'm right here in front of you. He's leading him to that aha moment where we say, oh, I forgot I was here, or I forgot who I am, or I've done it this way for so long, I forgot what I needed. Jesus cleverly counsels and leads us into discovery about ourselves through our thoughts and actions and about God through his actions and how he responds. We see it. We see it in Jesus all the time. We saw it last week when, when he said to the woman, go get your husband. Mark asked last week, how does this hit you when he says this, go get your husband? And immediately I became aware of myself that it hits me like, gotcha. I was like, oh, shoot. I didn't know that was there. That's how it hit me. When Jesus said, go get your husband, I thought, Ooh, that's kind of shaming. That's kind of sad. That's not Jesus. <laughs> so now I've revealed something about myself that I get to go to the Lord with and he gets to respond to it. And then I learn something about his faithfulness, his kindness, his gentleness. Do you see that interaction and how that works? The woman caught in adultery, where are your accusers? It was obvious they were gone, but why does he ask? Even with the Pharisees, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well would not immediately pull him out? And when Jesus met Mary at the tomb after his resurrection, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? These are not inquiring questions that he needs an answer for. These are questions that we need an answer for. What I discovered about myself was that there are places that are still not fully trusting God's posture towards me. And what I discover about God, it's that it's his kindness that leads us to this kind of transformation. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. <laughs> this scripture just is just revealing so much. I'm like, okay, who else in here thought, gal, figure it out? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> okay, maybe just me. <laughs> but what I realized is what this man is, is he's hopeless. He wants so desperately. He's been going there for 38 years thinking. So he has a little bit of hope. Maybe today, maybe today, maybe today, maybe today. But yet there's a hopelessness of, there's nothing else I can do. All I can do is sit here. There's no one to bring me. There's no one to put me in. The only way he thought he would get his desired results was healing, was to be the first in the water. He was not aware of another way. And Jesus comes in and he says, I have ways to provide for you in your life that you have never even dreamed of. We're just getting started. 
He had become routine, complacent, the man, the layman, ordinary to sit. It was ordinary for him to sit and wait, numb and aware there could be no other way. We all get comfortable with our circumstances and we lose sight of what we want or what we need or even who we are. And when we lost who we are, we lose who God is too. Or it becomes more distant and we lose the experience of God loving us. Jesus meets us right where we're at though. He says this to him. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. He says, rise and walk my friend. Today is a different day. Today we're gonna do something different. It's a different day at the pool. You see, Jesus is not here. It's interesting, he says, rise up and walk. He's not here to bring the guy to the front of the line to get in first, which you would think maybe he would do because that's what everyone's expecting there. He doesn't do that. He doesn't um, get there to physically lift him up and take him somewhere. He asks him, do you wanna be healed? And then he tells him, get up and walk. Jesus, the Son of God, is there to encounter the man, to help him see a different way, to help him discover who Jesus is and who God is. It's this openness that Jesus is calling us to. Do you want to be healed? He needed agreement from the man. He needed the man to say, yes. Yes, I want to be healed. Our song lyrics today, oh, I don't want to mess up anybody. Where is it? Hang on. My heart is an open space for you to come and have your way. I'm open. Do whatever you want to do. Say whatever you want to say. Move however you want to move. Change whatever you want to change. Where are we stuck? Where have we been doing something for so many years that we're, we're, we're unaware that we're still in the same place when the Lord is inviting us to a new place? What are you saying? Where are you going? My heart is open. Do we really mean that? I think we should be nice to ourselves. I think we don't mean it all the time. But are we willing to let the Lord speak into that? The man didn't know it was Jesus, but now he does. He discovered that he can hope, that he can be seen, that God sees him and wants him to voice his needs. You see, Jesus is gentle, compassionate, and in his clever way, he draws out of us complacency into encounter. He draws out of us unknown into the known. He draws out, of, and it feels like it, he's drawing us into the unknown because he actually draws us from the known to the unknown back into a better known. That's what he does. He draws us out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary if we're open and if we're aware and if we say, this is what I need, this is what I am asking of you, Lord. So what question is Jesus asking you today? 
last week when, when I realized that I felt like Jesus' words to the woman felt like, gotcha. I feel like the Lord is asking me, will you trust me a little bit more? What question is he asking you today? Where have you been sitting that he no longer wants you to sit? Would you dare be open to ask that question? Jesus, in my walk with you, have I been stuck somewhere and you want to move me? You want to invite me to get up and walk with you? Move somewhere? So get up and walk. Get on the road to discovering more about yourself and more about him. I think it's by that question, that him asking that question today, it's what he's saying to us, is I have more for you. Are you open to discovering it with me? He's the most clever counselor <laughs> that we have. But we won't reap that reward if we're not with him. We won't reap that reward if we draw a line to the, it's a good day it's 2020. You can say you've never missed a Sunday this year at church. I mean, it's, it's a good day to say, Jesus, what do you want me to be about this year between me and you? We have all kinds of different resolutions, goals, things we want to accomplish, things we want to do. What about our relationship with the Lord? I would pray that we would sit with him and ask him, Jesus, what do you want me to discover about myself and about you this year? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your gentleness and your kindness <laughs> and your ingenious ways that you interact with us to help us self-discover things that we need a new perspective on, things that, we want, that you want us to understand differently, to align more with the way you see things and more the way, the way you think of things. And I pray that we would continue, like our song today said, that we would be open to this. It's that simple, just to be open to that. And that we would trust you with even asking, Jesus, what do you want me to see? Where do you want me to move? How do you want me to think differently? What do you want me to discover about myself and about you? Just the sweetness of being with you is worth it. Sometimes we do things for recognition or reward or because we're demanding the, be our way, but Lord, I pray that our reward would be just the sweetness of knowing your love and that you have more for us. So I pray that we would rise up and walk. We would rise up and walk with you. In Jesus' name.
Come and have 